I do want to start out by taking the opportunity to welcome each and every one of you here today. This is our coastal Los Angeles region of the International Church of Christ, and it's great to be together as brothers and sisters. Amen? You know, in a minute, we're going to have a uh, video that kind of gives you some insight as to what 2014 is going to be looking like. And, I, you know, I, I know that some of you may not think that this is totally cool or whatever, but I'm up here. You're not. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I, I kind of like to get a feel for everybody who's in the audience today, and everyone's going to be represented in the video today. So is the Westside Church here this morning? I would say that's an affirmative. How about Greater Long Beach? Now, awesome singles ministry. Are they here? We got singles in the house? How about our teens? I figured it would take the other ones to kind of get you guys woken up there, but that was pretty awesome. You're a lot smaller numerically, so great job there. Campus! How about our South Bay ministry? And you know, it's awesome to know that this degree of excitement, this degree of exhilaration, this is about coming together, unified in Christ, to worship God. Amen? So right now, what I'd like to do is turn things on over to the video. You get an opportunity to see your various ministry leaders and what we've got to look forward here into 2014. So 2014 will be greater than 2013. Amen? You know, before I go any further here, I would like to uh, get us to bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. Oh, Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to come together, uh, the way that you watch over us, the way that you love us, uh, the way that you've given us an opportunity to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Father, in a special way right now, I'd like to pray for Jackie Nakishi, who uh, has got a very serious condition, very serious surgery that will be taking place here, possibly as I speak, and that you'll be with the doctors that are, that are involved, uh, you'll be with the family members that are there to support her. God, as this prayer goes out, we know that you are in control. God, you are such an incredible God. As we, we heard in the songs this morning, greater than, higher than, healer. There's so many incredible aspects of who you represent to us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, there's one little bit of exciting information that... Uh, we didn't talk about it on the front side, and some of you probably are going to be able to wait for me to finish so you have the opportunity to see it take place. But I know our MOE and MLA ministries are in the house this morning, right? Is there something special taking place today? Our own Luis Catuño is going to be appointed as an elder following the message. Amen. You know, February is Black History Month. And there's an individual that I was very impressed with because of the stance that he took. Hit the button. Anybody tell me who that is? No? It's actually a gentleman by the name of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. You want to talk about a man that was ahead of his time, a man of conviction, a man that did greater things than anybody prior to him when it comes to the awareness that we have today, the changes that have taken place in the culture in our country, this gentleman was definitely a catalyst for it. 
We owe the celebration of Black History Month and the study of black history to Dr. G. Woodson. He was born to parents who were former slaves. He spent his childhood working in the Kentucky coal mines. He enrolled in high school at the age of 20, and he graduated within two years, and then later went on to earn a Ph.D. from Harvard. It's amazing. The scholar was served to find that through his studies, through his schooling, that history books largely ignored black American history and the black American population. So Woodson always wanted to act on those ambitions, and he decided to take on the challenge of writing black Americans into the nation's history. He established the Association for the Study of Black Life and History. This blows my mind. In 1915. A year later, he founded the widely respected Journal of Black History. And then in 1926, he launched Black History Week as an initiative to bring national attention to the contributions of black people throughout American history. Woodson chose the second week of February for Black History Week because it marks the birthdays of two men who greatly influenced the black American population, Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Incredible man. Looking at his, his past, looking at his background, going on to do even greater things. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the next gentleman here, and I do have a short video clip about him, and that's obviously our Dr. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King's always been a great inspiration to me. Maybe it's because he, first and foremost, was a preacher. But it was amazing the degree of conviction he had, the things that he would take a stand on. And isn't that what dreaming's all about? I mean, we don't dream about worse situations, right? We don't, we don't dream about going backwards in our lives. We dream about what things can be. We dream. Our dreams are usually greater than our current situations. And that's exactly what Martin Luther King was all about. Today, what we're going to do is... We're kicking off a new series called Greater Than, and it really has its foundation specifically out of Acts 1 and verse 8, where Jesus talks about how we would go on to do even greater things, that the word, the gospel, would be preached to the ends of the world. What I'm going to do today is we're going to start with a little bit of a prequel to that. We're going to look at an individual by the name of Elijah. But ultimately what this series highlights is how the Holy Spirit worked in the men and women of that first century church and how the Holy Spirit can work for each and every one of us today. You know, one of the things that I've seen throughout the Bible is whether it's a nation 
or an individual that's facing insurmountable odds, God is always greater than whatever those situations may be. You know, Elijah, incredible prophet. You know, at this time that we're looking at here with Elijah, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms. Conflict. They had some issues. You have the northern kingdom, which retained the name of Israel, while the southern kingdom was known as Judah. And Elijah's contemporary was Elijah, also Joel, Jonah. And these guys were out there doing the same thing, preaching the word, reminding people about God, God's power, who they needed to worship, how God would work in their lives if they were surrendered to him. And one of the things that, that really stands out about Joel, there's a number of prophecies about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit from him. Elijah prophesied during the reign of three kings, Jeroboam, Jehu, and Jonah, approximately 853 to 796 B.C. These guys were the rulers of the northern kingdom of Israel. And then he succeeded the prophet Elijah. You know, the way that took place, most of us are familiar with the story. They're out walking. It's time for Elijah to be taken on up to heaven. And there was this whirlwind of fire and this, this fiery chariot descends and takes him up. And in the interim, he drops his cloak. Elijah picks up the cloak, dons the cloak. And this was symbolic of the power and the way God worked with Elijah, kind of like the, what we see in the Olympics, you know, the baton being passed. Everything that Elijah stood for was being passed to Elijah. And Elijah understood the incredible wisdom and power that Elijah had. And before he was summoned away, he asked him to give him a double portion, which not twice what was dealing on going on there. This refers back to if you have two sons, the first son gets the greater portion. And that's what he was asking. That's the inheritance that he was asking Elijah for. Now, mind you, he hadn't asked to be his successor. And, you know, there are challenges with that. He was called to a life of conflict, life of controversy, life of opposition. At the same time, though, Elijah was put into a position where he would influence the affairs of a nation. You know, as we uh, take a look at our next passage here in 2 Kings 6, give you a little background here. At the time, there was King Aram of the Arameans who was looking to uh, destroy the Israelites in this particular situation. And one of the best ways of doing that is to take out their king. So King Aram was trying to take out the king of the northern kingdom here. And his plans kept getting thwarted. And he was upset. He was totally was ready to take out some of his guys. He thought he had a mole in his group. Somebody was informing the Israelites where they were going to be. And so when they show up, the king of the northern kingdom was gone. He wasn't around. So one morning, the king decides, you know what? King Aram decides, I'm taking out Elisha. I'm done with this guy. Rat me out. I don't know what the heck this guy's problem is. I mean, his, the, the king's counselors were telling him, this guy knows exactly what's being said in your own bedroom. He wasn't too fired up about that. So he decides, I'm going to take him out. So Elijah's servant gets up one morning, walks outside, and the, the town of Dathlam surrounded by chariots, horses, and soldiers. And this is where we're going to pick up in Second uh, Kings 6 here. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elijah prayed, open the eyes, Lord, so that he may see. 
Then the Lord opened these servants' eyes. He looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And the enemy came toward him. Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. You know, Elijah was this guy that uh, kind of had a little reputation, was kind of diminutive in size. He was bald. There's nothing wrong with being bald. But there was obviously some issues in teens. You might want to read, if you get a chance, 2 Kings 2, verse 25. And that, you know, I think this applies to all of us. We do need to be careful with, with what comes out of our mouths. But they had some issues with Elijah, and there were 42 of them, and they, they kind of waited for him to come down the road, and they started chanting at him, Why don't you go up, you old bald head? And they did that on a couple of occasions. And the whole go up reference is, you know, basically going the way of Elijah. We don't want you around. I mean, you're making things rough for us. You're telling us what we need to do and this kind of thing. And, you know, God and Elijah weren't super fired up about it. And, you know, there's a story about some bears and what happened to these guys afterwards. But you can kind of read that on your own. But, you know, with Elijah, it was incredible. After this blindness, he takes the troops of King Aram. He says, guys, I know where you want to go. And he marches them right into the middle of their city. And then he removes their blindness. And, of course, you know, they're surrounded and they surrender. It was just amazing how Elijah, with God, was greater than an entire army. This is the impact that he had with God. And I think sometimes we lose sight of what we can do with God. We lose sight of the fact that we have Jesus Christ residing within us as the Holy Spirit. And really understanding that God is greater than all of our challenges, all of our opposition, all of our difficulties, all of our weaknesses. God is greater than our hurts, our pains, our griefs. Whatever your greatest failure may be, God is greater than that. And you know, there's a flip side of that coin, though, too. And I know this is sometimes the area that I can have the biggest challenge in. God is greater than whatever my greatest accomplishments are. He's also greater than whatever my personal victories have been. And I, need to lose, I, I, I can't lose sight of that. I need to remember how God works in my life in that way. You know, Elijah went on to face famine, war, a country under siege, and with his God, he was greater. You can see here, one guy marching against the armies there. That's how awesome we can be with God. But you know, a lot of times we can be like that servant that we saw in 2 Kings where, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, we're fearful. We take our eyes off God and we're, we're focused on whatever the issues or challenges that there may be in our lives. We start to worry. We start to get stressed. We lose sight of the spiritual picture. We're blinded by doubt. We're unable to walk by faith. And that's where God's word and discipleship comes in. You know, several years back, I was blinded by doubt. You know, as some of you know uh, how much I value family and the relationship with my wife and my children. And my son wasn't worshiping with us at the time. And, you know, there were some things that came out, and it, it, I just really took it personally, and I shouldn't have. You know, I lost sight of God. I lost, I lost sight of God's providence in my life, how God can direct my life, how God's in control, how God's greater than whatever it is that maybe there's a sense of discouragement. And the thing that was so awesome is, with each of us, we all have the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful for the godly men in my life. Many of you remember the situation. You know, I, I'd like you guys to do something. The guys that helped me through my attitudes, my anger, my fear, my doubts, when it came to my son Stephen, can you guys stand up? There, 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 were, there were quite a number of you. 
Maybe a few in kids' kingdom. Some of you may have lost sight, but, you know, it was, it was a situation where I had a lot of guys telling me, bro, you know what? You're overreacting. You're not being spiritual here. You're being faithless. And, you know, I appreciate it. It helped me dial things in, helped me deal with some just inner turmoil on a lot of different levels. And the thing that I'm super grateful about in that it's been seven years, but at the end of those seven years, I'm able to worship with my son and his fiance. You guys just stand up. It's my son Stephen and his fiance Aaron. You know, this is so incredible for me to be worshiping with him again. You know, to be alongside each other in the battle, lifting each other's arms, moving forward. And God has blessed him with such an incredible young lady. He works at a Lincoln Mercury Mazda dealership in Long Beach. She came in for service. He was a service writer. You can cut to the end of the chase there. He invited her out to church, and he's going to be getting married to Aaron on May 4th. Amen? But you see, with God, I'm greater than my doubts. My fears, my anger. And you know what? That doesn't just apply to me. With God, each and every one of you are greater than your doubts, your fears, your anger, your finances. You're greater than your past, as well as any present challenges that you may have. See, Elijah was greater than anyone or any situation with his God. Yet there was one to come who would even become who would even be greater than that. Please turn with me, if you would, to John 14, verse 1. And for those of you that are struggling, I want to let you know I did talk to Carrie. I've been really sick for the last 10 days. This is the only thing that's going to get me through this. And it's tea, not coffee. Not being a hypocrite. Just wanted to kind of spell it out as I take a swig. John 14, verse 1. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Amen. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And I go to prepare a place for you. When I do, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And isn't this where we go? Isn't this what can happen to us when different challenges come up in our life? We become blind again. We lose sight. We forget the incredible victories that God has already delivered in our lives, the way He has brought us into His kingdom, the promise of eternity, the promise of being the best if we adhere to what He personally has established for us. Jesus answered, this isn't the first time, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And keep in mind, these guys have been walking with Jesus for a while. All of the incredible miracles that they've seen, all the fulfillment of prophecy that they've seen. Yet, Philip's response here, show us, and we'll believe. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even if I've, after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. 
or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Kind of gives them a little out there. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Did you hear that? Did you see that in this passage? I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You know, weren't Jesus' miracles amazing? Feeding thousands with a loaf, a few fish, curing those who were sick, healing those that were blind. Imagine, you've got a relative and you hear about this guy, Jesus Christ. Say it's your mom. She's been blind for years. You take her to Jesus. She was blind before you were born. For the first time, she's able to see your face. That's the amazing God we serve. That's the amazing Jesus that we serve. You know, giving those who are paralyzed the ability to walk. And what I love about Jesus, it wasn't just one or the other. He met people's physical needs and He met their spiritual needs. It was the complete package. Physically and spiritually. You know, from a humanistic standpoint, we can kind of look at what He accomplished during His 33 years and, you know, humanistically, from a humanistic viewpoint, He kind of failed. Didn't he? I mean, you know, you look at you look at Acts one verse fifteen. How many people does it say there were actually following him at that point? One hundred twenty. First Colossians fifteen, probably maxed out. Group of five hundred people. Is that very successful? No government established. No government overthrown. Didn't have his own personal militia. No military. Rome still had the power. The revolution that the Jews have been waiting for hadn't taken place. No creed. There wasn't even anything written down. Yet we know in the book of Acts that one day, 3,000 were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. 3,000 were actually baptized and had their sins forgiven. And there have been millions since. You know, we, we think about our lives before coming into the kingdom. Isn't light greater than darkness? Isn't love greater than hatred? Isn't peace greater than chaos? Forgiveness greater than condemnation? Isn't heart, a heart of flesh, greater than stone? And even looking at things from a religious standpoint, isn't the Spirit greater than the law? And this is what we have through Christ. Acts 2, verse 36. You know, when we look at what takes place through baptism... Isn't there something that happens with the condition of our heart and mind after we're baptized? In Acts 2, verse 36, it reads, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Just a few of you. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of sin. And then and only then will you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
This point in time, the point in time that sin is forgiven is when salvation begins. And you know, I just want to put it out there this morning as we sit here. Are we living as though we're saved? Are we living like we are greater than our past? Greater than our present situations and distractions? Greater than anything we can be faced with? You know, I've been there. Sometimes we can lose heart. And with that, when we lose heart, sometimes we lose our minds. <laughs> you know, we think back to when we were baptized, though, didn't we have both? Cleansed heart. Excited about what had just taken place. Understanding that we had a new start, that our slates, our minds were wiped clean, and they were pure and blameless before God. You know, sometimes we can lose heart. You know, you think about those first two stone tablets that were engraved by God for Moses. Just thinking through that particular situation. You know, it's amazing how God works through situations, and he is so much greater than us. Stephen's fiance is a, a nurse over at UC, USC Medical Center, and there was a young lady that she was working with there in the uh, intensive care unit. And they started talking, and... One thing led to another, and turns out that the woman that she was working with, she was pretty fearful about the procedure. It's a pretty complicated procedure. There can be some real challenges through that. And she was a little fearful, a little doubtful about the outcome. But it's amazing how God is greater than our situations. And that here we have Aaron, this nurse, with this woman. They start talking, and it turns out that she's a sister in the Central Church here in Los Angeles, Jackie Nakaishi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name correct or not, but she was able to nurture her. She was able to pray with her. She was able to alleviate her fears, and she was ready to go. I mean, she was in such a greater state than she was at first, but this is, again, how God works in our lives. I think we need to remember sometimes, too, that going back to Moses' tablets, the Ten Commandments, we need to understand something, that checklists don't work. Not when we start assigning spiritual checklists to our lives and we lose sight of Christ and we're not getting into the Word and we pull back from the relationships that we saw established here in the book of Acts. The law kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. You know, all of us were in need of the Temple Mount sequel. All of us were in need of what took place at Calvary because if we look back to what took place at Mount Sinai, was that enough? Moses goes up on the mountain, fiery bush, God's voice thundering through the mountaintop. And the people knew this. They knew where Moses had gone. They knew what he had come back with. We have the Israelites being delivered out of Egypt. Miraculous delivery through a parted sea. In the middle of the desert, no food, no water, yet God provided And I think the thing that's so key here is when it comes to external things, these external things don't change lives. Now, I look at the miraculous escapes of my own life. I mean, there's been many, many instances where I should not be living here speaking to you today. There are automobile accidents. I had two. Both cars totaled. Both times I should have been dead. I totally believe it's the providence of God. God protected me through those situations. I look at situations where guns have been pulled on me. My anger and the situation my anger put me in. And you would think after each of those close calls with death that I would have realized, you know, man, I need to 
I need to tap out and surrender, become a Christian, man. I mean, this ain't working. I'm going to end up dead. But that external stuff wasn't the key. It didn't get me there. They didn't transform me. And I think really understanding that, the situations that I found myself in many times in my life, I swore they would never happen to me. I would never do those things. Those were the types of things other people did. And even after I got through those things, my life didn't change. It didn't transform me. You know, and then there were those periods of time in my life with incredible successes, new cars, new homes, new prestigious jobs, all kinds of money. It didn't transform me. I needed something greater than those things to change my life, to, to really help me see that there's something more than just the things that I was chasing. See, lives can only be transformed from the inside out. That's the only way that it takes place. You know, there's a couple in our group that I really want to lift up. I don't know if they're in here or Kids Kingdom, but that's Matt and Tisha Martin. I mean, you talk about a couple that has had challenges, good times, bad times. You look at their backgrounds, their cultural differences. I mean, there's so many things there. And to see them love God and really strive to overcome those situations and the love they're pouring out now to these children in the foster system. It's just amazing the way they give and they continue to pour themselves out. And the two of them are so much greater than they were before they were Christians, but they're so much greater than either of them would have been individually. And that's how God works. Life change that results in obedience can only take place when the Lord takes up permanent residence in His temple. I'm not talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem, but the temple that is each one of us. We are frail. We are imperfect men and women and children. We are really so much less than we could be without God. You know, we see this take place at Pentecost by the receipt of a gift that took place there as the message that Peter was preaching and people were being baptized. And that's the indwelling of the Torah. And we're asking ourselves, well, what do you mean the, the Torah? Well, you know, the Torah is the written Jewish law. It consists of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. But here's the thing. What do I mean by the Torah? Pentecost reminds us that God is personally engraved or tattooed, as some of you may prefer, His standards on our hearts. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, you'll see this in this passage. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, it says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. That's the incredible God that we worship. You know, think about it for a minute. Think about the, the thing that maybe you're the most ashamed of. What has God told us right here in this passage? We surrender to Him. We're cut to the heart, like those people were in the first century when they heard the good news preached, when they heard about what Jesus Christ had done for them personally. And their response was, well, what do I do? And their most embarrassing secret moment 
and all the other stuff that was there was forgiven and forgotten through the waters of baptism. See, with this new covenant, we don't need the law that was written on stone. This new covenant is greater than the old covenant. Jesus has given to those of us who are disciples who have been baptized for the forgiveness of sin His Spirit, which permanently resides in each and every one of us, giving us immediate and direct access to the Father. I don't know about you. I mean, it's, you know, kind of cool. You know, you don't have to go online and pull up Facebook. Hey, God, how you doing, man? Pull up the cell phone. I mean, He's on tap. He's in there all the time, 24-7. You don't have to pay a hundred and however many dollars a month that you're paying for your cell phone bill. God's online direct residing with each and every one of us. Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Torah inside us. John 1 verse 1 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ. He was with God in the beginning. He knew the plan all along. You know, unlike Moses, the Levitical priest, Jesus isn't, we, we don't need men as a middleman. He's the God-man. He's God's presence. That very presence that was manifest on Sinai is manifest in each and every one of our lives today. And you know, the thing that's really cool is Jesus' promise continues in Acts 2, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children or for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with all, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, I came across something in one of the uh, uh, Jewish books of literature that states that it's kind of synonymous. For them, food and the Torah were the same thing. You sat down to a meal, guess what was talked about over the meal? You sat down with the Torah, you sat down to a meal. And we see this here in the first century. You know, this is one of those areas I think we need to make sure that this was something they did back then. I think there's some value there. We get together for a meal. Let's make sure there's a spiritual aspect of it, that there is a Scripture shared. We share how God's working in our lives, in our families. So our kids, first and foremost, understand that we're about something greater than ourselves. Amen? You know, we look at this. With that breaking of bread in their homes, it says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, you look at those transformed lives back then. Those transformed lives have led to millions of people over the last 2,000 years being fed through both individuals and organizations like Hope Worldwide. You see, transformed lives that have led to hundreds of thousands of millions of people receiving medical care greater again than what took place in the first century. So we can see how what God talked about here, what He promised... It's taking place, amen? You know, we look at the impact on souls today. It was greater than what went on in the first century. How many people have had their hearts transformed? How many people have had their minds changed? 
See, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, life is greater than before. Your life as a disciple is greater than before. As you sit here visiting with us, you too, your lives can be greater than they were before. You know, how many of us have gone on to do greater things than we would have ever thought or imagined? I would imagine that probably applies to most of us when we look back to our lives before we became Christians. But we've got to be careful. Paul warns us in Romans uh, 12. He warns us to not be conformed to this world. You know, when we look at what goes on in the world today, we get bombarded by the media daily trying to transform us into what they think we should look like. It's amazing what goes on today. It infiltrates every aspect of our culture. Tolerate everything. Believe nothing. Care about no one. See, a disciple's life is a life of inspiration and sacrifice to God and others. And the key here is to be transformed, he says in verse 2, by the renewing of your mind. You know, when Elijah donned Elijah's cloak, he was transformed and he received power. And we're baptized into the righteousness of Christ as Elisha put on Elijah's cloak. We have been cloaked with Christ. And that gives us the opportunity to live a life of transformation. It's produced and we receive that power from Christ that enables us to be different and make a difference with the lives that we're living. You know, once we're transformed, how do we continue to do greater things? Take a look at me, with me here in John 14, verse 13. It says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son of Man may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, if you love me and you obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know, isn't that just like Elijah's servant? Wasn't spiritually focused, didn't see what was going on. But Jesus says, you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I come to you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You know, what's the key to receiving this promise here in John 14? There's only one condition. Jesus talks about it twice. In my name. Pray to Jesus, praying in his name. Verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You know, I think one of the things that Jesus has established here that sometimes we lose sight of is that it's got kind of a filtration process for us here. In the name of Jesus, what does that mean? I've got a little video, and we'll, we'll talk about it here, and we'll bring this thing in for a landing. For a minute. Jesus! <laughs> Is it working that way? You know, but honestly, isn't that how sometimes we approach God? Kind of like Santa Claus, man. We got the wish list out, dude. We got a $164 million lottery this week. Come on, God! Bring it! God's not Santa. And, you know, I think the, the thing that Jesus is trying to establish here is when you ask God, is it for you and your glory or is it for God 
and God's glory. You know, if you're struggling with maybe not all your prayers being answered, maybe it's, some, maybe it's about what you're asking. And then keep in mind, too, with God, it's not always a yes or no. There's that maybe. There's that time increment that's in there. But if you want all your prayers answered, let's make sure we're approaching God the way Jesus calls us to right here, which is, again, is it for my glory or is it for God's glory? Jesus establishes this here in his name. What does that mean? Want to be greater than whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with, whatever it is that may be haunting you, or maybe it's just the fact that you're not as spiritually committed as you'd like to be? Ask God for God in Jesus' name. You know, Jesus says in John 14 with that promise, we have the strength of the Holy Spirit, amen? We have the power of the resurrected, risen Christ. And we have a promise that we can ask for anything in His name for this mission for the glory of God. Because of His divine worth and the price that He paid for us on the cross. Put every request through this filter. His glory, His worth, His purchase, His wisdom. Every prayer will be answered. You will have everything you need to do what needs to be done and to go on to do even greater things. Because the name of Jesus is greater than any other name. You know, what can God do through us in our personal lives, our families, our communities? If we have our spiritual eyes open and we see that those who are with us are greater than those who are with with them, we should be able to do whatever we want to do when it comes to getting the word out there, converting our communities, bringing our families to Christ. I want to close with an incredible quote from Gregory of Nazareth from the 4th century addressing the false doctrine which taught that Jesus was a lesser God. It reads, He was baptized as a man, but He remitted sins as God. He was tempted as a man, but conquered as God. He hungered, but He fed thousands. He was heavy with sleep, but He walked lightly over the sea. He pays tribute but it is out of a fish. Yea, he is the king of those who demanded it. He prays, but he hears prayer. He weeps, but he causes tears to cease. He asks where Lazarus was laid, for he was a man, but he raises Lazarus, for he was God. He is sold and very cheap. It is only for 30 pieces of silver. But he redeems the world, and that at a great price, for the price was his blood. As a sheep is led to the slaughter, as a sheep, he is led to the slaughter. But he is the shepherd of Israel, and now of the whole world also. He is bruised and wounded, but he heals every disease and every infirmity. He is lifted up and nailed to the tree. But by the tree of life, he restores us. He dies, but he gives life, and by his death, he destroys death. In Jesus' name, it all will be done. Jesus' name is greater than all. Let's pray for the communion. Father God, we we thank you for what a, a complete God you are in so many ways. How you set us up for victory. How you give us all we need to go on and do 
things so much greater than anything that we could do on our own. Father, I pray that each and every one of us here this morning can see our need for you, that we can see the need to be surrendered to you, looking at your life, looking at what you laid down, look at what you were willing to do for each of us so that we could have a relationship with you. It just it exceeds my imagination, but I am so grateful, God, that you would think of us, you would think of me, you would think of men. And with that, be willing to come down as a man, to give up your life so that we could have eternity with you in heaven. Father, I, I pray as we, we take the bread and the wine this morning that we can think through what took place at Calvary and how because of your heart and your love, we can be changed on the inside. We can be transformed and we'll go on to do even greater things in your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.